and we'll read verses 1 through 16. This is the word of God through the Apostle Paul. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So far, the Word of God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 45, stanzas 1 and 6, which speaks of the church in God's uh, plan of salvation. So Psalm 45, stanzas 1 and 6. God's purpose is that the King, Christ, would have many sons... That is us who are His sons according to the Spirit. And one of the gifts that God gives for that purpose, for the building up of that congregation of sons, is the gift of office bearers. We see that in our text. Let's read the verses of our text again. Those are verses 11 through 16 of the the passage that we read. Ephesians 4 then Verse 11. And he, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
so far the words of our text. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, some of you may be thinking, I think I heard this text recently. If you are, it's because you've been paying attention and we we read this text a few weeks ago on Ascension Day uh, when we saw Christ ascending into heaven. And there we focused on the verses, especially right before this text. And and we saw that uh, on, on Ascension Day, we saw that when Jesus left us, he was not at all abandoning his church to let her now figure things out on her own. But rather, he was coming to the throne of God to receive the kingdom that he had bought with his blood so that he may now begin ruling and reigning over that kingdom. And so we saw that that right now, even though in the Apostles' Creed, all the Apostles' Creed mentions is that he sits at the right hand of God. And we may think that's, uh, that's, that's less than impressive that all Christ is doing is sitting. Uh, But we realize this is, right now, the busiest time in Christ's work of salvation. He is working by His Spirit in the church. He's working out in the world. He's uh, He's working through missionaries who are preaching the gospel. He works in each of our own hearts, leading us to Himself. And He also commands angels who do His bidding. And He intercedes for us before the Father. Christ is busy in this season. And what we see in our text here that we want to focus on this morning is that one of the primary ways that Christ is working right now in the church and in the world is by sending men equipped and empowered by His Spirit to serve in the midst of His church, to serve as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Those are the offices that are mentioned there. We know from the book of Acts that deacons are also among those offices. And, and there, are, there are more roles that God also has in mind for, for His church. And, and we also want to recognize as we look at that list, apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, pastors, and teachers, that two of them are fulfilled, the prophets and the apostles, uh, they, they are the foundation on which the church today now stands. That's what Paul himself says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, the church is the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. So Christ is a cornerstone. He sent apostles and prophets who are now, whose words are now in, in Scripture. That's the foundation on which we stand as a church And yet three of those tasks are still living and active today in our midst. That's evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these are essential, just as essential, to his mission for the salvation of the church and for the transformation of the world, Uh, along with the other offices, such as the deacons that you also find in Acts. So here's my point as as we take all that in and as we... Uh, digest that and reflect on it, my point is that what is happening this morning with the ordination of office bearers is of tremendous importance in the world. The church is the future of the world, and the office bearers are the tools that God gives for leading the maturing and building up of the church. You brothers, 
who have been called to office as elders and as deacons are the means by which Christ is accomplishing his work of salvation in the world. And he's going to use you to bring about his kingdom. You who Christ now also promises to empower with his spirit, you are Christ's gift to the church. Having ascended from, uh, into heaven and now sitting at God's throne, our Lord Jesus Christ has specifically called you through the church, has called you and now promises to equip you to be the means by which he will strengthen, mature, grow his church and through the church to build his kingdom throughout this world. Now, we might easily deduce from that, uh, the rest of us might deduce from this text that since the office bearers here are Christ's gift to the church for the building up of the church, that it is uh, in the office, office bearers' work, their work, my work, that that's where the real stuff happens. That's where ministry takes place. We, we might uh, make that assumption that that's where all the action is at. Uh, and so the rest of us might assume then that it's, it's simply our job to pray that, that you know, ministry would happen among these office bearers. But that is precisely not Paul's point. Did you notice that in our text? Paul says, He, Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So, what is the calling of the office bearers, according to our text? It is to equip the saints, you and me and all of us, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Their job is not simply to do ministry on behalf of the rest of the church. It is to equip the church to do ministry. Uh, the, the assumption that Paul is working from here is that Christ has not given his spirit only to the office bearers, but rather to every individual among us, to the whole church, to all the saints. And so the calling is not for the elders, the deacons, and the minister to do ministry, but rather to equip all of us to be doing ministry. Uh, the Greek word here that's, that's translated ministry is, is the word diakonia, from which you might hear the word that we have, deacon. Uh, that's where we get our, that word. And it, it very simply means service. So you can, when you hear the word ministry, you can also translate that as service. And it's a very down-to-earth sort of word. It's, it's referring to, to the act of being there for someone, serving someone, uh, working for the well-being of someone in whatever capacity that God has given you. The, the original meaning of this word diakonia in the popular culture came from the work of waiters and waitresses as they serve tables. It's a very down-to-earth, practical sort of word. And in this sense, then, it's not wrong to say every Christian is called to ministry, to service in these very simple, practical ways. Uh, we, we recognize, of course, that there is a, there is a special ministry for the office bearers. Uh, there are special roles, responsibilities that they are called to do. But that does not mean that ministry is something that belongs only to them. Ministry 
is visiting brothers and sisters who are lonely or discouraged or struggling. Ministry is keeping an eye open for the the young people in our midst who may be drifting, who may be living on, on the edges of the church, speaking to them, meeting them where they are, encouraging them. That is, that is ministry. Ministry is uh, visiting and encouraging the sick or the elderly and giving your time to be with them. Truly, truly, I say to you, said the Lord Jesus, as you did this for the least of these little ones who believe in me, you have done this for me. That is ministry. Ministry is giving financial aid uh, to those who, who are struggling. Ministry is teaching and encouraging those who, who have doubts or questions in their faith. Uh, you think of Priscilla and Aquila who ministered to Paul. That's his word he uses. Who ministered to him as they taught him about the gospel of Jesus. And, and there too then we want to recognize though scripture is very clear that only men are called to office Yet all saints, all of the saints are called to ministry, including also the women. Again, he says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's, that's the whole church. And you see this in Paul's letters. Take Romans 16, the final greetings in, in the letter to the Romans. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant in the Greek, diakonos, a, a servant, a minister, a deacon, uh, you may say, in, in that lower sense of the word, and that, that simple down-to-earth ministry sense of the word, a servant of the church at Cancrea. And in all the greetings and the letters that Paul writes, uh, women are mentioned almost as often as men. They too are called to minister within the church. So we go back to our office bearers then. The calling here to you office bearers is to equip every member for that work of ministry, to minister to one another for the purpose of the building up of Christ's church. Uh, we, we are all to serve one another to help the church grow towards maturity. Now, when we think about this, this growth towards maturity, uh, there's two kinds of growth that we, we should primarily be thinking of. First, Christ would have his church grow numerically. This is the, the, the whole storyline of, of the book of Acts. The church grows so that peoples of every tribe, tongue, and nation would come to the knowledge of the gospel. And, and the church would spread throughout the earth. So there's a numerical growth that Christ is certainly working towards. But Christ is also working so that his church would grow spiritually. And that's what's in focus here in, in this text when it talks about the building up of the church, it's building up towards maturity. It's a spiritual growth. It is just as important, if not more important, that the church would grow spiritually as it grows numerically. And and this is our responsibility towards one another. Uh, Led by the elders, we are called to help one another to grow towards maturity. Uh, the, the kind of growth that Paul has in mind is very clear in, in, in verse 13. He says, In the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now those last two phrases uh, might strike you as odd. What does it mean that we are called to grow to mature manhood or to the fullness of the stature of Christ? 
It's an interesting phrase, and, and Paul clearly has something specific in mind. You can see this also if you take the time to read the whole letter to the Ephesians all at once. He keeps coming back to this, this fullness of the stature of Christ. So you look in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 23, he says, The church is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Or in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, It is my prayer that you Ephesians might be filled with the fullness of God. So what's Paul talking about here when he says we are to grow up into the fullness of the stature of, of Christ? The point seems to be that Christ, in his glory, has now ascended into heaven, and he's taking dominion of the whole universe, and the church, the church is the fullest expression of Christ's presence on earth. If you want to find Christ and see the character of Christ, look to His church. And that means that we as a church are to strive to be the image of Christ here on earth. That's what Paul is speaking of when he says, growing up into the, the fullness of the stature of Christ. Christ, the perfect man, is, is our ideal, our goal as a church, the, the, the goal to which we, uh, to which we work. And, and this is what you elders then in particular are called to equip the saints, including, of course, one another as, as members of the church, what you are called to equip the saints for, the kind of service that leads to the building up of the body of Christ towards maturity or Christ-likeness. That's maturity in doctrine, knowing Christ. It's maturity in, in faith, trusting in Christ and, and leaning on Christ. It's maturity in, in love and serving Christ. And it's maturity in also following Christ, the, the life that He has laid before us. He who should come after me must take up His cross and fo- must deny Himself, take up His cross and follow me. That too is maturity in Christ-likeness. Uh, the maturity then of Christ's church ought to be your goal in your ministry. The opposite of this maturity is also laid out for us in, in verse 14. So we have some idea of what it looks like. He says that we may no longer be children. So there, by children, you know, Christ says we are, we are to be uh, like children in another respect. But here, children means immature. Uh, We are not to be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Uh, What all of these have in common, all these things that he lists, what they have in common is an absence of relationship with Christ our head. We are not to be disconnected from Christ our head. That is the epitome of Christian immaturity. Uh, we are, uh, when we're not holding on to Christ, then we will not be growing up into Him. Uh, and we will be tossed and blown about by every philosophy, every trend, every idea that comes our way. And, and that is immaturity. Not knowing who we are. Not knowing who our head is or where our hope is. And it makes us rootless, directionless, and vulnerable as a church. It is immaturity. And, and such Christians who, who do not have relationship with Christ, their head will never grow into maturity. 
The only path to maturity is through knowing Christ, through His Word and with His Spirit, and then holding fast to Him so that we may grow up into Him. And that's what you elders then are called not to do for everyone, but to equip everyone to be working for, to be helping one another to do. Here then we want to recognize that, uh, that meaningful growth as individuals and as a church does not happen in isolation. Uh, you cannot grow towards maturity purely on your own. God has given us one another and God has given us elders to lead us and shepherd us toward that end. We need one another and, and it is God's gift to us that we've been given one another and been given elders to oversee that growth, to help us towards maturity. The same is also true of of you deacons in a narrower sphere. You've been given a very specific calling, uh, uh, which is called the the ministry of mercy. Now, in in one sense, you too are, are, of course, members of the church. So you are also, as saints in this church, tasked with the call to help uh, one another towards that maturity in the ministry of mercy. But you as deacons are called to equip the whole church to be able to serve in those roles. It's your calling to equip the saints for the ministry of mercy. Uh, One pastor I once heard said it this way, your call as deacons is to work yourselves out of a job to so equip the church that the church is so busy ministering to one another that you deacons say, we don't know of any needs that aren't being met, that aren't being taken care of. So it's not only then you're calling to show mercy, though it certainly is that as, as saints in the church, but it is your calling to see to it that the rest of us are busy showing and ministering in mercy. Uh, we are all then, all of us, called to be ministers of mercy, to show hospitality, to show mercy, to visit the sick and the lonely, to provide for the needs of the poor. All of these are specific instructions given to the whole church in the New Testament, and they belong to every Christian. We are, we are in no way to hand that off to the deacons to do. Their job is to see to it that that ministry is happening in our midst. Again, remember the, the word ministry here is, is so down-to-earth, so practical. It doesn't only refer to the sorts of things that we might call uh, spiritual, but rather it refers to, to, to very practical ministries of love, to see to it that the poor are cared for financially as well, to see to it that the lonely are visited, that the afflicted are comforted. That is, it is spiritual work, but it happens in very practical ways. The church is built up through those simple ways. And it is built up towards love, faith, joy, and maturity in Christ. But it happens in such small and simple ways. For this task, as, as elders and as deacons, for this task, you are called to speak the truth in love. You can see that in verse 15. To speak the truth in love. In love, and I love how how simple this command really is. Uh, if, if you want anything to be your motto as elders and as deacons, uh, make it this: speak the truth in love. 
Uh, see, what we do is we tend to gravitate either towards one or the other. Like, either I'm going to be a, 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 a truth-speaking Christian or I'm going to be a loving Christian. But we see it as something that you, you cannot really uh, be both or that those two things are in, in tension. And, and when, we, when we stumble over that, we can do no better than to look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who puts the two of them together. It's in the person of Christ, isn't it, that we see truth and love coming together. Uh, John 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, or truth and love. Uh, The two things come together in the person of Christ. In fact, as we look at Christ and all the goodness that that He has shown to us, the truth that He has spoken to us that we needed to hear, and the goodness that He has shown to us, the love that He has given us, we realize that these two things, grace and truth, they're not opposites at all. They belong together. They go hand in hand. Uh, They are joined together such that if you have not one, you have neither. You cannot have grace, true grace, without truth. And you cannot speak the truth for what it really is in truth if you're not speaking it with grace. The two come together. True grace always tells the truth. And the truth is amazingly gracious. This exhortation applies, of course, not only to the office bearers, but to to all of us, to speak the truth in love in all of our ministries to one another as well as to, to the world as we, as we witness to the world. But here it is especially applied to, to the office bearers and, and in your ministries to those under your care. If we're not speaking the truth, we're not bringing grace to anybody. There's no grace in lies. There's no grace in, in leaving someone in the darkness or in avoiding Conflict, that does not communicate grace. Uh, People, all of us, we need the truth. And and love, true love, gives the truth. But equally, if we communicate the truth without grace, we're not truly communicating the truth. Uh, Sometimes people people say it like this, you know, I'm just the kind of person who who tells it like it is. I just speak the truth. And what people want to do with that truth, that's... That's their business. But here's the thing. That is not true to the character of Christ. You're not speaking the truth if you're not speaking it in grace. You communicate the truth of the gospel and the character of Christ as much in your loving, gracious concern for others as you do in the words themselves. Both of those show us the truth of the gospel and who Christ really is. If your words are not filled then uh, with love and, and overflowing even with grace, then they are not truthfully representing the gospel. This is so important for us as elders and deacons especially because it, it can be hard to speak the truth in love, but we recognize so has Christ done for us. Let me leave you then with, with a word of encouragement The grace and the truth that we are called to give to one another is the grace and truth that God has first given us in Christ. Uh, Thus, it is your calling simply to to show 
the same grace and truth that God has given to you to show it also to those under your care. Uh, For this reason, uh, even though the work of elders and deacons can be at times extremely difficult, there is also this sense in which it is amazingly simple, isn't it? And, And profoundly joyful. You're called to extend to those under your care the same truth and the same grace that Christ has extended to you. You are given the task of equipping and encouraging the saints with the gospel by which you yourself are encouraged and equipped. Uh, you are to give them the hope that is your hope. Uh, you are not, you're not called as, as righteous men to minister to, to all those sinners. Uh, you are called as sinners, received and forgiven by God, made to belong to Christ and heirs of His grace, to extend that same mercy to those under your care. And, and further, even that, even that task of extending Christ, Christ's grace and truth, even that you are not to do on your own strength. Uh, you cannot do it on your own strength. Rather, the, the whole point of this text, isn't it? The whole point of this text is that the growth of the church towards maturity and Christ-likeness is a growth that comes, first of all, from Christ Himself. He promises to provide that growth. He's given you to the church to carry out your task, but He promises that the growth will still come from Him. And you can see that in in verse uh, 15 and, and 16. So starting at verse 15, He says again, "...rather speaking the truth in love, we are called, or we are, to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, again, by Him, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It is Christ's intention that the growth and maturity of the church would come through the individual ministries of every saint, the ministries of every member, equipped and encouraged by the work of the office bearers. But even though He works through us, it is nonetheless a divine, supernatural growth that comes from Him. Uh, we, we saw this in our series in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 13. He says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God, God, who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There, there's a responsibility on our part, but, but you elders and deacons are not called to shoulder the burden of, of making that growth happen, of doing what, what only God can do. Rather, it's our calling in the first place to hold on to Christ ourselves, to remain united with Him ourselves, and, and even that, of course, we recognize is, is His work in us. But we're called to do that, and when we do so, we find He does work powerfully through us. In this way, too, our, our task as elders and deacons is, is so simple. Begin by holding on to Christ yourselves, and every day staying near to Him, remaining faithful also in your devotional lives uh, and in prayer, and He will lead and guide you and equip you in everything that you are called to do. Some of you brothers are being installed as elders or deacons for the first time, and 
And you, you may feel overwhelmed by the weight of the task that is uh, being laid upon you, as, as I still do, on, for the task that's given to me, and as all the, the current serving elders also do. Uh, it, and yet we, we need to recognize in ourselves, we are not qualified for such a task. It is a divine work that we are called to, to be part of. Who can change hearts, after all? Who can open the eyes of the blind? Who can, who can give life, spiritual life? You cannot, and relying on yourselves, you will not. But drawing near to Him and crying out to Him in prayer, you will discover that Christ can accomplish the work that you are called to do. And the more that you lean on Him and cry out to Him, the more effective your work will be. So do not, then, do not neglect the primary task of prayer. Stay near to our Lord. Cry out to Him, and He will work mighty things through you. And so for every one of us, this is also true as we minister to one another for the building up of Christ's body. Let all of us be a people of prayer drawing near to a God who can do mighty things through us, holding on to Christ our head so that we may experience the joy of seeing Him, witnessing Him work through our simple, humble ministries. It really is that simple. And for all of us, brothers and sisters, let us also then receive with joy and with gratitude the gift that God is giving to us in these office bearers. Setting an authority over us, uh, we should res- uh, ha- because He has sent, set them in authority over us, we should receive them with joy, because the one who gives these office bearers to us is the Savior who loves us and who gave His life for us. He knows we need them, and He gives them for our good. Let their work then also be a joy. Receive it with joy and honor them for the work that they do. Give them the joy of of witnessing God working in you through them. And may God also then bless us as a church and through these ministries and the ministries by which we serve one another, cause us as a church to keep on growing towards that maturity, to be a church that is like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's respond by singing together from hymn 50.